Good day, and welcome to Free to Be Faithful. I'm moderator Kip Allen. Free to Be Faithful is a religious education and awareness program created by the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in response to increasing governmental and secular incursions into religious life. The upcoming election has enormous implications for religious life in America. That's the topic of discussion for today's Free to Be Faithful. Good day and welcome to Free to Be Faithful. I'm moderator Kip Allen. We have a time of decision coming up ahead, religious freedom, and our, what it uh, means to us is really on the line today. One of the uh, top observers in this particular battle is Mr. Tim Gigline, Vice President of Focus on the Family, longtime friend of Free to Be Faithful, and of me personally. Tim, welcome back to the program. Kip, it is always an honor to be with you, and you are right. We are in the fourth turn, uh, heading toward November. Uh, I, I think it's very clear that our discussions are always worthwhile uh, and fruitful because we are partisan to the issues, not to the party. Um, and when it comes to the issues of human life, uh, religious liberty, family, marriage, parenting, uh, the human condition, uh, it's always about the issues and not about the party. Uh, and it's one of the reasons I love doing these shows. Well, actually, I'm not sure that we can separate them at this point. Uh, as you know, the uh, Democratic National Convention is going, and I have been reading their party platform. And let me uh, give you a couple of quotes from it. Like the majority of Americans, Democrats believe that every woman should be able to access high-quality reproductive health care services, including safe and legal abortion. We will restore federal funding for Planned Parenthood, which provides vital preventive and reproductive health uh, health care for millions of women, especially low-income women of color, LGBTQ plus people, including underserved areas. Democrats will fight to overturn uh, to overturn federal and state laws that create barriers to women's health rights. We will repeal the Hyde Amendment. That's just part of it. I mean, they, I'm, this going is going on and on and on. Uh, one of the things is that they specifically call for passage of uh, what, what is being titled the Unity Act, which specifically overturns the religious uh, the uh, the Religious Restoration Freedom Act. This is frightening. You know, you know, it may, may I say it? It, it really is. Um, you uh, you have to go back to 1860, uh, historically, to actually find a time of very deep polarization like the era that we are in. And of course, in the election of 1860, it was the election of Abraham Lincoln. And, you know, uh, it's very interesting in the era that we're in, Kip, that, you know, we all have a temptation to be rhetorical you know, uh, to go to the highest or the lowest common denominator and to reason from there. But I think it is an absolute fact that not since 1860 in the election of Abraham Lincoln uh, have we had the kind of polarization and the kind of toxic differences that we have now. Uh, you know, uh, I, it's very interesting as a, as a conservative um, uh, and I, I do a lot of, uh, you know, discussions, forums, panels, uh, remarks, speeches, etc. Uh, and I welcome, eagerly welcome uh, comments, questions from fellow conservatives and from progressives. I, I believe very firmly in dialogue, conversation, civility, magnanimity, etc. 
And uh, in February or March, I was at a very large public university uh, doing a conversation uh, about the upcoming election. Uh, And a young woman said, you just want to go back to the 19th century. And I said to her, I don't want to go back to the 17th, 18th, 19th, 20th century. What I want to do, hopefully, what I want for our country uh, is the ability uh, not for every member of our country to join one political party or the other, but to come together on the most deeply held moral and religious principles, uh, however they are expressed uh, you know, in, a, in a partisan manner. Uh, but as you have shown, Kip, uh, when you go in to the platforms uh, of the parties, you have such a chasm and such a large, almost Grand Canyon style division on the most elemental policies uh, that, uh, that you wonder how those can possibly be bridged. And in the way that you have articulated, uh, I don't think it is possible uh, you know, in 21st century America to say we are in the short term or even the medium term come to we, that we are likely to come to a moment where we can agree on uh, you know, some of the most uh, basic constitutional principles uh, you know, upon which the country was founded. I just I don't think at this moment that it is possible uh, to close these kind of yawning uh, gaps uh, in the in the public policy arena. They are enormous. They truly are. Um, I do want to try to restrict it solely to to uh, how it affects religious uh, religious liberty and, and religious outlooks. There's many other there's many other things in the platform. Uh, both parties that. Uh, while important, are not directly uh, germane to this particular discussion. But I am very disturbed where we, we find, for example, the uh, what I just quoted in the uh, Democratic platform, where they call for repeal of the Hyde Amendment and where they call for federal funding of Planned Parenthood and uh, also overturning any state regulations that restrict abortion. Yeah, I I feel very confident, Kip, that if the Republicans retain the Senate and if the Democrats retain the House at their present numbers, regardless of who is president, we are not going to be able to find a moment where the Henry Hyde Amendment is going to be repealed. And for those who are listening who are uncertain about what that is or why it's so important, uh, it is the amendment uh, that has always prevented taxpayer funding of abortion. Uh, The Republican majority in the Senate has already said that it will never assent to overturning the Hyde Amendment. Uh, The the Democrats who lead the House have said they are 100% committed to overturning the Hyde Amendment. So if we retain in November the same parties who control each house, we will not see a change there. However, uh, and there is only uh, a a four-seat majority of Republicans in the Senate, if we do see a change on November 3rd, I think it is probable that we will see an attendant vote in the Senate to overturn the ability to filibuster That's a fancy way of saying that we will oversee the turning of a long time agreement 
that on major policy, you have to have at least 60 votes in the Senate. Uh, This is a way historically of honoring whichever party is in the minority in the Senate. And I worked there for a decade, uh, and I know how each minority party benefited on public policy uh, from the idea of a filibuster. I think what we will see, Kip, if uh, the Democrats control the House and the Senate, I think we will see a permanent overturning of the filibuster. We will see a move toward abolishing the Electoral College. We will see a move toward expanding the Supreme Court. And we will see a move uh, toward giving those in the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico uh, seats in the Senate. And this all directly relates to religious liberty. Uh, because the religious liberty provisions, the ones with teeth and the ones that really matter, the provisions in either uh, law or an executive order, which which uh, fully preserve religious liberty, uh, we would see both of those uh, both of those categories fundamentally overturned. Uh, I believe, within the first 100 days of a new administration. I feel very confident of that. I'm afraid I am, too. Uh, they have specifically pointed out again in the uh, in the platform, as you pointed out, they do support statehood for the District of Columbia, uh, which is essentially two more Democratic senators. And uh, what else they are supporting, for example, is uh, one of the things I talked about is um, – uh, adoption. And as you know, this is a big issue where there are adoption agencies that are faith-based that will that follow their faith in placing children. Many of them say, no, we cannot place them in, with unmarried couples. We can't place them with single people. We can't place them with, the, with gay lesbian. But they want to repeal this. They, 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 this whole thing, it, no matter how I look at it, they... It looks like uh, there is almost like an open declaration of war on people of faith. I I feel very confident of the following, that the most anti-religious liberty decision ever made in the history of the Supreme Court was made just a few weeks ago in the Bostock decision. The Bostock decision by a, a vote of six to three with Neil Gorsuch, Justice Neil Gorsuch, uh, writing the opinion, and with Chief Justice John Roberts uh, uh, agreeing with the majority, which is to say four liberals and, uh, and two members of the Supreme Court who had been nominated and confirmed by Republican presidents, we now have in Bostock the absolute foundation for a frontal assault on religious liberty and the rights of conscience. I won't go backwards into describing Bostock. That's a very important topic. And of course, Kip, we uh, spoke about this unbelievably important decision in our uh, last wonderful conversation. But going forward, the thing to know is that the Supreme Court's Bostock decision gives a majority in the House and Senate who are already open to eliminating the historic uh, uh, constitutional protections on religious liberty and conscience, the Bostock decision is a gigantic unlocking of that uh, constitutional protection. And what we will see, and I predict that we will see this as soon 
uh, as the next Supreme Court term, which opens in October, we will begin to see a number of cases which will mature at the district and at the appellate levels um, that will result in Supreme Court cases which will potentially further restrict our religious liberty. Um, I think we have to assume uh, this as a given, not that we have to assume that the election will go one way or the other. But what I'm suggesting, Kip, is that because Supreme Courts historically build uh, uh, their cases one caseload at a time, and if you lose a monumental case in one particular area, for instance, if you lose Roe versus Wade, then you open up the provision for uh, the growing and the protection number of, of, of abortion all across the country. Uh, if you lose a monumental decision uh, on marriage between people of the same sex, then you open up you know, all other kind of possibilities with regard uh, to religious liberty outcomes. And this is precisely what we have seen and will see more of, unfortunately, as a direct result of Bostock. Well, we've got churches such as ours, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, uh, the Roman Catholic Church, uh, Southern Baptist uh, Convention, who share some similar beliefs in terms of gay marriage, that it's your marriage period, that it's reserved between a man and a woman. As I read Bostock and as I read in the Unity Act, which has not yet come to a vote, uh, it seems to me that, e that even the message from the pulpit quoting the Bible could be ruled as hate speech. Yes, I, I may I say um, I uh, firmly believe that what you have just articulated, Kip, among all of the potential future threats to religious liberty is the number one threat. And I want to articulate this, if I can, uh, prayerfully in the King's English, because it is so important. With almost no exception, churches, synagogues, and mosques, and their schools, and their paraministries, heretofore in American uh, jurisprudence, have mostly been given the widest possible berth on uh, personnel decisions, on articulation of uh, dogma, um, of the entire way in which uh, religious people in America navigate their lives in their parishes, their churches, uh, their synagogues, their mosques. Uh, and there are important exceptions to what I'm saying, but mostly that has been a sacrosanct area protected by the American Constitution. What we have seen, however, with the decisions that we have talked about in this program and so many other intangible cultural forces uh, is the ability in the future for there to be uh, Supreme Court decisions and law passed in the House and Senate to actually come inside the church, to come inside the seminary, to come inside of the private Christian school, uh, and to be able to dictate personnel decisions, to dictate what can or cannot be said from the pulpit, and what can or cannot be taught 
uh, in schools, seminaries, and Sunday school classes. Uh, this is overall uh, the, the and, and this is not a speculation, uh, this has already been well stated, clarified, articulated by people who do not share our worldview, who are in positions of great authority and greater power. This is precisely the America that they want. And when they speak about constitutional reform or updating the Constitution or stepping into the abolition of the Electoral College or expanding the size of the Supreme Court, at least in part, their goal in doing so, Kip, is to move closer to this uh, restriction, not just on religious liberty and conscience. That's, that's the, that's the 50,000 feet view. Their specific goal is to actually become, as a governmental entity, part of the church, part of the synagogue, part of the mosque or temple. That is ultimately what they are seeking. So much for uh, so much for separation of church and state. We're trying to keep the state out. But you know, people who would say, uh, "Well, gee, this that's really extreme. It won't happen here." Look to history. It did happen here in the United States in the First World War under the Wilson administration, when churches were actually spied upon, and they were pastors were imprisoned because of uh, there was there was their uh, talk from the pulpit. It has happened. Uh, it absolutely has happened, uh, and it and 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 the answer is that um, that that this is not an extreme analysis. And I'd like to give just two very concrete examples. Uh, we are living in the midst um, of the COVID era, uh, and we uh, have uh, examples presently in the largest by population the largest states uh, in the United States, uh, which by governmental mandate have said that people of faith may not worship in their churches. Um, governments have set restrictions based on percentages uh, of attendance at churches or synagogues or mosques. Uh, they have uh, thereby made personnel decisions you know, if you are a very large evangelical church, say, in California, uh, and, uh, and you make a whole matrix of decisions regarding your worship service, <clears throat> regarding parking uh, decisions, regarding people who will volunteer uh, in the church office, who will volunteer on a Sunday morning or a Saturday evening or a Wednesday evening, you know, it's not just, Kip, in other words, the decision about meeting on a Sunday morning, because too often that's how this debate gets framed. You know, that you've got a bunch of these uh, Christians, so-called, you know, who are just uh, angry uh, that somehow they don't think uh, that they have to pay attention to the law. Uh, and, th and this gets reduced to kind of a debate over how citizens of a state are going to spend an hour or two on their Sunday mornings. Uh, this is almost always a debate perpetuated by people uh, who are uh, not people of faith, who do not regularly attend uh, service or mass or, 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 or any kind of uh, you know, religious function. They, they fundamentally have uh, no idea uh, about how a church uh, uh, operates, and yet they have enormous power uh, to restrict the people to actually worship. And this is not 
you know, just restricted to California. Uh, this is a reality now in other states. So I think that that's one example. Another example, uh, Kip, is the enormous uh, power of these states over Christian schools, over Christian colleges and universities, over seminaries. You know, when you get into the question of who can worship and how many and where, all of a sudden you have already spilled necessarily over into personnel and ultimately, in many instances, potentially to budget decisions on the part of those institutions. So these are not theoretical arguments that are kind of out there as mist over the ocean. These are real examples in real America in 21st century, uh, you know, uh, uh, times of great debate over who should have the upper hand uh, on uh, the practice of our faith. Well, I think uh, Justice Thomas even addressed that in the Obergefell decision, which, uh, as you know, is the one that legalized gay marriage throughout the United States. And uh, he warned very much that the uh, things like seminaries, like religious schools, would now be open to, uh, to uh, this kind of, of oppression. Absolutely right. And um, I think that uh, that uh, if someone ever found him or herself with extra time, it would be well worth reading Justice Thomas's major dissents just in the last two terms of the Supreme Court on human life and on religious liberty. And I know we're speaking principally about religious liberty, Kip, and I, I would be derelict if I did not mention and I want to build on what you said, because I think this is so crucially important. Um, the dissent in Bostock on the part of Justices Thomas and Alito is must reading. Uh, if you are a man or woman of faith and you have asked yourself, I wonder where we're going in our country uh, on, the on, on the potential ramifications of limiting my own religious liberty, um, you will find no better answer to that than you will in the dissents on the Bostock decision. Um, I have read and shared these dissents many times, and uh, almost always, Kip, I'm very sorry to say that many of the religious leaders that I have shared these dissents with will respond to me the following, I had no idea. I didn't know that. And it's not from ignorance or stupidity. Uh, it's because our religious leaders are very busy people um, and uh, they uh, often do not realize the immediate and direct threat uh, that comes from monumental decisions in our courts and in the halls of Congress. But they are things that we ought to be very, very concerned about. And the public can actually access these dissents and the rulings without too much trouble on the internet. Uh, on this, uh, I think it's uh, what scotus .scotus I believe. It is, yes. And uh, it's there to read. And as you pointed out, these are vitally important decisions that are being made. And Justice Justices Thomas and Alito have been almost prescient in uh, seeing what was going to happen ahead. Yeah, may, may I say, um, I remember a broadcast, uh, Kip, that you and I did very shortly after the death of the late, great Justice Scalia. Uh, and one of the uh, issues that you raised, and I love this, is you said, you know, who, who can ever replace this man? And we talked at length about Justice Thomas. Uh, they were great friends and uh, great collaborators on a number of uh, of very important uh, decisions, more dissents, unfortunately, than majority opinions, uh, but but truly uh, peerless members of the court. 
And of course, Justice Thomas, uh, this October, uh, will celebrate 29 years on the court as the longest serving uh, present member of the court. But I must say, and I think it's worth saying on on this uh, discussion uh, among all, that the greatest protector of religious liberty and the rights of conscience uh, in all of the American uh, judiciary uh, is Samuel Alito. Uh, Justice Alito is a quiet uh, presence on the court, but he is one of the most articulate, erudite writers in the history of the Supreme Court. Uh, His cross-questioning in all of the major uh, 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 cases that are heard at the court, I've been uh, humbled and honored to to be in the courtroom many times for those cases, is really without precedent. And uh, I think not just in the Vostok decision, but in the three other religious liberty cases that were decided uh, this current term that just ended, and in the major religious liberty cases, frankly, of the last 10 years, Justice Alito, with not a single exception, has been a a major leader in this area. So uh, if you are a a person who is passionate about religious liberty and issues of conscience, if you really want to understand what are the threats to our country, what's coming, uh, Justice Alito uh, is really uh, the, the, the best of the nine on the court. Well, you know, there was a folk song back in the 60s that was titled The Days of Decision. And uh, this is what we're facing now. This is, I think, one of the most important elections of my lifetime. I can't recall another one that uh, where there were so many basic issues that are at risk here and are, and are at stake. And we have to remember that we are citizens as well as of the, of the left-hand kingdom, as well as the right-hand kingdom. God expects us to participate in our government. Absolutely. It's incumbent upon us as Christians to do this. Yes, I look forward uh, to hearing vice presidential nominee uh, Kamala Harris, uh, because I think uh, her uh, uh, speech at the convention will set a template for the narrative of how she sees uh, her role uh, in a potential new Biden-Harris uh, administration. And it's incumbent upon us to ask, uh, as Christians, what, how will we be directly impacted by a potential Biden-Harris uh, um, uh, administration, say, in the first 100 days? And, uh, and I will look forward to the October 4th um, a single debate between Vice President Mike Pence uh, and nominee uh, Kamala Harris. Um, I was uh, reading a speech from Vice President Pence this week, and he said, and I'm quoting him, he said, we stand at a crossroads of freedom. He says, before us lie two paths one based on the dignity and worth of every individual and the other on the growing control of the state. And I think that that is uh, a very important uh, summation, uh, you know, of where millions of Americans have concluded uh, the importance of this election actually resides. And on no issue, not a single one, is there a more important area of issues than religious liberty and the rights of conscience. Well, Tim, I know uh, that you're pressed for time. I want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to discuss this very important issue. And, of course, we'll be keeping our eye on what's going on and doing our duty as Lutherans and Christians and citizens. Be of good cheer. Thank you so much, Kip. 